Church, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Amen. Some of you remembered that the next phrase is his love endures forever. We're going to uh, give thanks today. This series, Deep Gratitude, the last in this three part sermon series on gratitude, deep gratitude. You might remember that in the first uh, uh, sermon in this series, we talked about the word for praise or thanksgiving in the Hebrew Bible. The word was halal. And I pointed out that in its earliest form, it's um, sort of um, hieroglyphic form of that first letter of the word. Do you remember this? Some of you starting to come back to some of you. Uh, what was the image? What's the image of that first word? It literally forms the image of a person standing with hands outstretched. Halal, praise, to give thanks to the God of God. So, uh, I'm going to invite you uh, to stand because it feels like a morning where we need to stand. Those of you who can and are able to stand. And uh, we're going to give thanks uh, by responsive uh, reading. You're going to say, His love endures forever. And when we say His love endures forever, we're going to lift our hands to say, His love endures forever. Okay, if you're comfortable doing that, certainly no one has to do that. But his love endures forever, uh, just as scripture teaches us to raise our hands in thanksgiving and in praise. So give thanks to the Lord of lords, to the God of gods. Give thanks to God for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. Now, still standing, I've noticed that um, we, th- there are not as many people in the room as there are on. I don't know if you noticed this. But there's a whole section. I, I saw the pictures on Facebook of the youth who are away on youth retreat. And I thought, well, I kind of want to be there too. They're on the beach and they're worshiping and having devotionals. And let's all, so you guys want to go? We could load up right now. We could be down there. We might pass them on the way. I know, me too. That sounds great. Let's do it. Uh, And uh, some of our AOH folks are not here this morning. They're out as they're anticipating the Thanksgiving break. That's okay. Um, But I've noticed that there are some um, pockets of space in here. Up here in this section, right here in this section, we have lonely friends. Um, This whole row is empty. There's usually people sitting on this row. So you don't have to, but before you sit down... If you'd like, I want to extend a personal invitation for you to come and fill in these places so that uh, there are people closer to me because I kind of like that. So if you want to, uh, make your way down. And if you don't, that's okay too. My wife is coming. (laughs) So she deserves a round of applause for that. Usually when I say stuff like that, she runs the other direction. But I'd love that. And as they do that, you can... uh, uh, have a seat. Uh, that's great. God is good, and we have so much to be thankful for, and His love does endure forever and ever from generation to generation. Scripture resounds these themes, and they're almost always rooted in the sense of God's presence, of God's provision, of God's blessing, of God's glory uh, reflected in all creation. And so, as we turn our hearts uh, and our faces more fully toward God and God's own word, let me invite you to join me in a word of prayer now. 
God, we do turn ourselves toward you in great thanksgiving. You created uh, all things and sustain all things. And by your word and by your spirit, all things came into uh, being. And so we stop uh, to make room in the midst of busy lives and distracted lives to make room for your word and your spirit again today to come and, and fill us and sustain us in every way. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together in these moments be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in the name of Jesus, whom we adore, the word become flesh. Amen. Soon we will gather as we have gathered many times before around tables filled with food, with family and friends. We'll all gather around. It's Aaron, right? Aaron came early to Thanksgiving to help mom get ready for Thanksgiving. And so soon we will gather around tables like this. And so I'm wondering, what does the great Thanksgiving look like for you? What sort of rituals um, are a part of your Thanksgiving gatherings and your Thanksgiving table? So uh, I say that more than a rhetorical question. I'm really curious. I wonder if at your table, do you set all the food on the table and then people sit down and then you pass the food? Or do you do the Thanksgiving buffet? Which is it? How many buffeters do we have? Lots of buffeters. And the rest of you, I would assume, are the, you can raise your hands. We set the table. Everyone gathers around the table. I, uh, do you have a turkey carving ritual? Uh, you, you know what I mean by that? A turkey carving ritual? I don't mean some, you know, blessing you pronounce over the bird or anything like that. I mean, you know, like you see in the movies where the turkey's at the head of the table and someone stands up literally at the table and takes out the knife and carves the turkey as everyone's sitting there watching? Or do you do it before? Does anyone do that turkey carving thing? Because that would be so cool if you did. But I just don't know anyone who, I'd, I see it in the movies. That's really great. And I wonder, do you have special dinnerware that you only use for occasions like this? Thanksgiving or Christmas or other special, do you, do you have special um, holiday meal uh, dinnerware, like the plates and the silverware that you only get out for those. Yeah, he's pointing, saying, yeah, right here, right here. And I wonder what your, at, at your great Thanksgiving feast and gatherings, I wonder what your prayer rich, ritual is like. You know how sometimes, um, though we may have give blessings and give thanks at meals lots of times, is it different at Thanksgiving dinner? Do you, for example, take a few minutes and go around the table and everyone says something for which they're thankful? Do some of you do that? We did something uh, not too long ago. I think it was maybe two Thanksgivings ago. I'm not sure. Where we had the little, um, little tags that had a string on them and you wrote something on the, um, at the table, it was on the plate, and you wrote something you're thankful for on that. And then after Thanksgiving, uh, the Thanksgiving meal, we did a Thanksgiving hike, a thankful hike. We took our tags, and we walked up uh, in the, on the property to a tree we had picked out, and we all hung, read our little Thanksgiving cards, and we hung them on the tree. And then as it turned out, that also was the surprise 
engagement announcement for my, my now son-in-law. Uh, we did because we were all up there, and then we went right around the corner, and it was all set up for his proposal. Um, yeah, aw, that's great. They may watch this on YouTube. They'll appreciate that. Aw. You know, it's no accident that the ritual of Thanksgiving is so inextricably tied to a meal. That's no accident. A feast like this. And for those of us who find our life and identity in Jesus, it's so much more than just the last Thursday, the fourth Thursday in the month of November. For those of us who find our life, our story connected to the life and the story of Jesus, it's so much more. So I want to suggest to you that this morning, in this gathering, we are practicing Thanksgiving. We're going to practice Thanksgiving. Because any good coach knows, right coach? That you play like you practice. That's pretty good. Isn't it? That, that sounds like a good preacher thing. It's also a good coach thing. You're going to play like you practice. So we're going to practice Thanksgiving together. All of us gathered around where the meal is the story and the story is life. The meal is the story and the story is life. It's true for the Passover. You know the story of Passover. Deliverance from, from Egypt. And as God's hand of deliverance passed through and made a way for God's own people, how because the blood of the Lamb was on the doorframe, God passed over. And how they were to prepare to, for God's deliverance in advance. And they were to make bread without yeast because there was no time for that. And, and then they were to keep this meal, the Passover, in, as a way of telling that story and remembering who God was and who they are because the meal is the story and the story is their life. Right? So, gather around the table. <clears throat> we're missing a table. I, if I would have planned more in advance, I would have had a, we'd have a prop which actually in the history of the church isn't so much a prop. <laughs> a table, a, a table. We're all gathered around the table and it's set and we're all present and God invites us to this table. And at this table, I want to invite us to hear four stories. I'll try and tell them quickly because you don't want to be here until Thanksgiving as we practice Thanksgiving, right? When God had heard the cries of his people and had raised up a leader who, though he felt inadequate to respond to God's call, and, well, who wouldn't if you're standing in front of a bush that's on fire talking to you? And God had raised up God's leader to stand before Pharaoh, to stand before not just the person, but all the forms of power that had oppressed and sucked the life right out of them. And when God had delivered them through the Passover and through the waters and all those powers of oppression had pursued them still and God had swept them away in the waters of the Red Sea. And they stood on the banks of the other side and they, they did what? 
I'm telling you, they dance the hallelujah. They dance the halal. They danced in praise and in thanksgiving. And God led them forward. Pillar of cloud by day. No. Yeah, pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. He led them forward into the wilderness. You know, they didn't get very far on their journey into God's new future before they stopped and started to complain. Moses, you let us out here to die. There's no food. There's no water. There's no life for us out here. It would have been better if we had stayed back there. How quickly they forget. And God said to Moses, I'll bring water for my people and I will rain down bread from heaven. He said, Now, when you wake in the morning and the bread is on the ground, only take Enough for that day. And then on the day of the Sabbath, take enough for two days. If you try and take too much, if you take more than enough for one day, when you get up the next day, it's going to be all spoiled. Isn't that interesting? But it keeps for the two days. And you know how they did with that? Not so well. You know how we do with that? Not so well. The story is about scarcity, the not enough. And the story is about God's provision, bread from heaven. And the story is about trusting that the God who provides today is surely good and great enough to provide for tomorrow. You don't have to take more than you need. It's a good story. Story number two. There was a famine in the land. And the prophet was camping at the brook. Because there was little water and little food, God had led his prophet Elijah out to the Kiriath Ravine. And he was literally camping by the brook where water would bubble up just enough to take care of Elijah. And the ravens would come. And the ravens, not so that Elijah could shoot the raven and eat the raven. (laughs) Not that kind of hunting season. But the ravens would come and bring bread. And the brook would bubble up. The ravens would come and provide. And then the brook dried up. And God said to God's prophet, Elijah, go into the city and find a widow. And so he did. He made his way into the city and he found the widow there. The widow in the city of Zarephath. And he said to her, would you make for me a meal? And she said, this is... Not a literal translation. What are you, crazy man? Haven't you noticed? There's a famine. And all the people I know around me are are eating what they have and then they wait to die. 
She's not being melodramatic. She's not exaggerating. It's true. She says to him, all I have is a little flour and a little oil. And she'd been rash. Trust me, she'd been rationing it carefully. I have just enough left maybe for one more meal. And then my son and I will, like all the others, wait to die. And he looked at her and he said, make the meal. And the flour will not be used up and the oil will not run dry. Now, I know what's going on in her head. She's trying to calculate, well, I hear you, prophet, but I don't know how that works. I don't know how that works. But you know what she does? She, she goes and she takes the flour that she has left and the oil that she has left and she makes a meal and she serves it to the prophet. And you know how the story goes? Have you heard this one? Sure enough, when she goes back the next day, there's a just enough flour and just enough oil. It's a story about scarcity, not enough. And about provision, God's provision. And about trust that the God who provided will provide again. Story number three. They were following Jesus. They had heard of his miracles. They had heard of his teaching, of his renown. And so he was gathering quite a crowd. And though he and his disciples tried to find time to break away a little space, respite from the crowds, they kept pressing in on him and they kept pressing in on him. And they found him wherever he was, and he was out in a remote place, and they all came out there. And so he stood to speak to them and to teach them and to embody God's love in his words and in his person to them. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And he looked out at them, and he saw that they had no food and that they had been there for a long period of time. And he said to his disciples, see if you can find any food among them. And they went and they searched and they looked and they found something like seven loaves. Thousands gathered. Seven loaves and a few small fish. And look, the story goes like this. It uses this language. It says, he took the bread. He gave thanks for it. He broke it, and he gave it to them. This is Mark 8, if you're making notes. I want to go back and read it for yourself. He took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke the bread. He gave it to them. And there was enough. And there was more than enough. The word took, gave thanks, for thanks is the word eucharisto in Greek. Eucharisto. It means thanks in its various forms. It's the word in English that you may have heard before, the transliteration, Eucharist. That in the great history of the Christian tradition is used for when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Eucharist. It's just the Greek word. For thanks. He took 
He blessed or gave thanks. He uh, broke and he gave. It's a story about scarcity, not enough. And about provision, more than enough. And about trust, that God is able to provide more than we need, that God is indeed with us. Story number four. They're approaching Jerusalem. They've been there before. I imagine they uh, presume that they'll be there again. But as it turns out, it's the last time they'll be there with Jesus in this way. And they are making provisions for the meal, the Passover. And they begin to think this through. What's the plan? And Jesus gives them instructions. And they find the room. And they make their way up into that room. And as they sit down there, it says, He took the bread. He gave thanks for the bread. Eucharist. He broke the bread. He gave the bread to them. It's a story about scarcity. It's a story about provision. Jesus says, this time, he says, he took, he gave thanks, he broke, he gave. This is my body. Was it the bread itself, unleavened, broken, offered? Yes. Was it Jesus' own self? Which was it? Your answer is yes. Scarcity, provision, abundance. God is with us. In the second century, Christians who gathered week after week to share this meal, the one we're practicing today, in some of the earliest descriptions and evidence we have, not only from Scripture, but from other documents of their gatherings on Sundays for a meal like this, describe a move in their worship toward literal tables, not figurative tables, not imaginary tables, literal tables for a feast. They called it a love feast, an agape feast. They shared the table and food and drink in abundance. I don't know that it looked like your Thanksgiving table. Probably not. Or one, they didn't have chairs. Try that out this Thanksgiving. See how it goes over for you. But it was like that. Food and drink and celebration and life and laughter and stories. And the, and the meal became the story and the story was life. And there was this moment in the midst of that larger meal that they were sharing together. This agape feast, this feast of love and fellowship, where the one presiding took bread, gave thanks, 
broke the bread and gave it to them. It gathered up all of these stories, many of the ones we've told, these stories that we've told today. It gathered up all of these stories and no doubt countless others into the story of Jesus as they remembered that in our scarcity, God provides in abundance. They called this moment by the Greek word, Eucharist. A great thanksgiving. A deep gratitude. When we gather around the table to take, bless, give thanks, break, and give, which is what we do. I know it looks different these days, but it's what we do. We are gathering up all of these stories into the story of Jesus. And get this, we are bringing our own stories too. Bringing our own stories right alongside that one of God's deliverance into the wilderness. Right alongside the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath, right alongside that story of the multitudes gathered with no food into the late afternoon and evening with no food, maybe days on end with no food, just a few loaves and fish. We are bringing our own stories, you and I, right to this table. They are our stories of scarcity. Any lack of what we need. Maybe it's food. But I'm looking around the room and thinking, probably not. But for some, it is, right? For some, it is. And maybe there is so much more that we lack, not just food, than not enough. That we are not enough. But in some ways, life and all its twists and turns maybe even very early on in our life, has left us with the sense that somehow, in some ways, we are never enough. That's a story of scarcity too. That no matter what you do or how hard you try, it's not enough. That no matter how big of a price you pay, what you get in return is never enough. We bring our stories of scarcity to this table alongside all those other stories of scarcity. We are gathering up all of the fear and the doubt and the shame of not enough and finding our seat at a table that by its very nature says, enough. There's enough. You're enough. God's mercy is enough. God's love for you is enough. You can trust it. You can believe it's true. We are choosing to believe that in Jesus there is enough. By God's gracious presence, sometimes hidden from our sight, there is enough. You are enough. We are enough. We look across the table into the eyes of Jesus who takes his own life and holds it out to us, breaks it and gives it to us. 
and says, there you go. It's enough. You're enough. And we look around the table at each other. Into each other's eyes. And in every moment where not enough begins to creep up. And you can almost see it in another person's eyes. We lean over to say, you're enough. It's Eucharist. A great thanksgiving. A deep gratitude. Did any of you see um, this last Friday night, the ABC 2020 special? Anyone watch this? There's a few people, so you're going you're gonna to get this. If you haven't, and you can find um, the time and access um, to play this video, uh, this do docu-news reporting in 2020, the kind of Diane saw your thing, about the Turban, Turpin children, 15 of them, locked away by their own parents inside their house, never allowed out, abused physically, mentally, in every way possible, starved, emaciated. One night in 2018, one of the older daughters, Jordan, escaped, slipped out a window in the wee hours of the morning with an old cell phone with no service. But did you, you know if a cell phone has no service, you can still call 911? And she had happened to see the cops show on TV, and so she heard them talking about this 911. She was 17. And she called 911 and they played the call. And they're asking her questions and I'm telling you, she talks like she's about a nine-year-old. She's 17. She looks like she's maybe 12. She's 17. And at one point, they ask her, uh, the police finally arrive and meet her there. And the policeman says, are you on any medication? Because she, she's so strange, talking so strangely. And she says, what is medication? I don't know that word. And later they ask her, are you injured? And she said, what is injured? She doesn't know that word. She's 17. Look, this table, uh, I should, you're going, what happened? <laughs> You have to go watch it. What a tease. Obviously, the police intervene, thanks be to God, and they take these children to the hospital, some of which can't even walk because they're so weak and emaciated. They have been chained to beds in the house, and in some cases, in cages in the house. It's a story of scarcity on all kinds of levels. End of deliverance from that 
and of the long, hard journey back to try and find life. The oldest of them, who at that time was 28 or 29, said, what did you do? He said, when I got to the hospital and I knew that we were, had been delivered from that. She said, I made sure there was enough room in my hospital room and I just danced. There was music playing over the intercom and I just danced. The two sisters being interviewed said, we went to a park not long after we left the hospital and we could smell the green grass and the fresh air because you can't imagine what it was like in, in the smell inside there. And she said, the blue sky and the green get grass, she said, I can't imagine heaven anything other than that. This table is a table for them. And for countless others like them, any one of us who experienced rather that kind of neglect or abuse, or rather this internal sense of self-abuse that says not enough, this table is for all of us. We make room for all of us who live from scarcity to abundance. You know, I know what your Thanksgiving table is going to look like. It's going to have about five times more food than any group of people could reasonably eat. Am I right? And you're going to try and eat on it for about two or three days. Let me reframe that for you. Not shame you about that. It is... Um, in theater, they would call this dramaturgy. So it is living theater that says there is more than enough by God's grace. There's more than enough. You don't have to live in the fear of not enough. You don't have to hoard for yourself. You can make room at that table because the God who provided today is the God who will provide tomorrow and is more than able to supply your every need. And who loves you with an everlasting love. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. My God, do not leave us to be so blinded by our own abundance that we do not make room here. Oh God, turn all of our tables into tables where scarcity is transformed into abundance, where not enough is transformed into more than enough, where you are surely present and we know this Eucharist, this great thanksgiving, a deep gratitude. Welcome to the table, friends.